Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. I'm Greg Jarrett. I'm Sandra Smith. I'm Charles Payne, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Thursday, March 10th, 2022. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. As gas prices soar, what, if anything, can be done in the short term to help ease the pain for Americans? Some lawmakers insist the answer is here at home. If we've learned anything in Ukraine, we should have learned that our energy independence is vital to our national security. I'm Chris Foster. The federal government has secrets. Former CIA operative Mike Baker shines some light on them in his TV show, Black Files Declassified. The difficulty is in getting access to uh, documentation, getting access to information that tells you exactly what the purpose of a particular program was. And obviously, you know, there are secrecy concerns around uh, a lot of these things. And I'm James Carafano, and I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. Recent polling finds most Americans, between 70 and 80 percent of us, support a ban on Russian oil and gas imports, even if that means gas prices go up here at home due to Russia's war on Ukraine. While oil prices had surged, they came back down a bit Wednesday after the United Arab Emirates said they want OPEC to increase production. Republicans argue the volatility wouldn't impact us this much if we were to just unleash American energy production here. This week, President Biden said in announcing his ban on Russian oil and gas imports. It's simply not true that my administration or policies are holding back domestic energy production. He argued that 90 percent of onshore oil drilling isn't even on federal land anyway. Republicans said White House policy is absolutely impacting energy production. Congresswoman Yvette Harrell represents New Mexico. That's why we've introduced the American Energy Security and Transparency Act. We're compelling this administration to stop with withholding these permits on on leasing on federal lands. We're asking the Department of Interior to have at least four sales a year in six different states. Louisiana Republican Congressman Garrett Graves argued. Do you know that in the president's budget request to the Congress, there's an explicit provision in there that says that they won't make investments that result in a reduction of the cost of oil and gas? But when asked what he could do to help with gas prices after his announced ban on Russian oil and gas, President Biden said while traveling to Texas. Can't do much right now. Russia is impossible. Republicans say the Keystone XL pipeline needs to be finished, that that could carry more than 800,000 barrels of oil a day. Keystone already exists. The XL portion was to be another leg. President Obama pulled a permit for it in 2015. President Trump jump-started it again, but a judge stopped it. And President Biden pulled the permit again when he took office. XL is owned by a Canadian company and would carry oil from Alberta to Nebraska. Alberta Premier Jason Kenney said it's not too late. If the U.S. administration uh, wanted, instead of going cap in hand to the Venezuelan, Iranian, Saudi and uh, dictatorships to replace Russian conflict oil, they could, we could turn this around, I believe, in less than a year. Some Republicans have now proposed legislation to restart XL, and while Canadian oil isn't U.S. oil, it may be close enough. And I would much rather be getting oil from 
from Canada than I would from Venezuela or Saudi Arabia or Iran. Georgia Republican Congressman Buddy Carter wrote the legislation. He acknowledges it would take some time. So I asked him, what do we do about gas prices in the meantime? Well, there are four things that I really do think that we can do to, to reduce gas prices and to replace the oil that we were getting from Russia. And first of all, restart the Keystone XL pipeline. That would be a start and end the federal freeze on all new oil and gas projects. You know that this president, as I indicated before, has an all out war against fossil fuels. We need to end that federal freeze. We need to fast track the pending LNG export facilities and permits. You know, we've had a number of LNG facilities that have converted from import facilities to export facilities, including a facility in my own district, Elba Island in Savannah and Chatham County. That was converted from an import facility to an export facility. We have an abundance of natural gas and we can help with our European allies. We can help other areas in the world as well by exporting this um, LNG. We could expedite the approval of all pipeline and energy development. That would help us as well. We could also stop the regulatory assault on American energy, American energy development and financing. Cut out some of this red tape that is costing us so much money in the way of of expenses as well as in the way of time. All of those things would lead, I think, and it would be an encouragement, I think, to the energy sector. If they saw the president doing this, if they saw him making these changes, it would be an encouragement to go out and invest more in the infrastructure. Right now, they have not been wanting to invest in the infrastructure because they they know that this administration has had uh, a war on fossil fuels. Now, you heard the president this week. He said it's just not true that his administration is holding back on energy production, that even though he signed an order pausing federal oil and gas lease sales, that 90 percent of onshore production is on land that isn't even owned by the federal government and that there are 9000 leases now not being used. What is your response to, to that argument? Well, first of all, as far as the leases that aren't being used, you have to keep in mind a lot of those leases are partial leases on partial uh, property. In other words, it, it may take 900 acres in order to be able to truly develop a field, whereas one of these leases may be on only 300 acres. Um, there's a lot of research, as you well know, that goes into these fields, and some of them are, are going to be fruitful. Some of them are not, and that's why a lot of these leases aren't being used is because they have found out that they're just simply don't have the resources on that they thought they had. We need to turn the switch back on and unleash American energy. We have an abundance of natural resources here that we had achieved energy independence with, and we can achieve it again. Yes, it's going to take a little while. It's not going to happen overnight. But again, just the idea that this president would show confidence in, in our energy sector here and show that we are going to, again, achieve energy independence and use American resources would be enough to inspire, I think, all of the private sector and the energy companies to, again, start pumping oil. If it's true that 90 percent of onshore drilling isn't even happening on federal land, should something be happening on non-federal land that isn't happening? I mean, like state land, other land that you would point to? Or, or is this it sounds like you're saying that the oil and gas companies are are restricted in 
uniform ways that don't just apply to federal land. Is, is that accurate, that even if 90 percent of onshore drilling isn't even happening on federal land, that some of these restrictions still apply to other areas? Well, some of the restrictions still apply to other areas. But the thing is, is that we know that we have the potential in a lot of federal lands for energy development, and, and we ought to be tapping into that potential. That's the key here, is that there are federal lands where we know that there are resources available, yet the federal government is blocking that because they don't want us using fossil fuels. If they would simply open that up and allow us to be using those federal lands and to drill on those federal lands, then we could increase the energy production here in this country. I want to ask a little bit more about what you think oil companies can do right now. And to your point, you know, they point to what they say are a number of restrictions, like, you know, once they have the lease, you know, getting the permits to move forward has become harder, that all of the talk out of the administration about climate change makes financing harder. And yet there are reports that the Biden administration has approved thousands of permits for drilling last year, not as many as 2020, but more than in 2017, 2018 and 2019. What are we to make of this? Because it sounds like the Biden administration would say, look, we are approving permits. You know, I would take exception to that. Um, What the Biden administration may be saying and what the Biden administration is doing, uh, I think, are two different things. Remember, oil is traded in a futures market. So whenever you're talking about the price of oil, you're talking about something they're predicting is going to be the price in in the future, not the, Mm -hmm. the immediate price right now. And because you're dealing in a futures market, a lot of this has to do with a lot of the pricing has to do with what the private sector and what the energy companies feel like is going to be the direction of of the federal government. So if we can if we can simply give them the confidence to know that, yes, we, we are dedicated and we are committed to making sure that we unleash the natural resources that we have here in America and that we're going to commit to using America natural resources in order to gain energy independence, then I think you're going to see a big uptick in the work of the energy sector and the energy companies and also a downtick and a decrease in the price of gas and price of oil. Okay, sorry to be repetitive with you, but on the policy front, what would you and Republicans have this administration do now? First thing I'd do is to restart the Keystone XL pipeline. The second thing I would do is open federal lands for drilling. The third thing I would do is to convert some of our LNG import facilities to export facilities. And the fourth thing I would do would be to cut some of the red tape and and the regulatory burdens that go along with the federal government and with this administration in particular. If we could cut some of those regulatory burdens, I think that it would show a commitment on behalf of this administration and therefore give the energy companies the confidence that they know that we are committed to using American fuel and, and to making us energy independent which is extremely important to our national security. If we've learned anything in Ukraine, we should have learned that our energy independence is vital to our national security. And that's why, look, I applaud the president for ending the Russian imports. You know, it took him too long to do that, but he did do it. And it's never too late to do the right thing. And that is the right thing to do. However, now we've got to deal with higher gas prices, and this is impacting everyone. Just this morning, I've been getting texts from people 
who are constituents. One is a, a logger. Um, we have a lot of forest land in, in my district. And one of the loggers has sent me a text this morning. We just cannot afford these fuel prices and it's gonna put us out of business. We have a big ag community, a strong ag community in my district as well. And I, I got a text today. Uh, listen, the price of fertilizer is just too much. I'm not going to be able to plant my crops this year. Just can't afford to do it. That That's a direct result of the higher prices, the higher energy prices. You know, the single mom who's trying to provide for her family and, and trying to get to work, who's now having to spend so much more money to, to buy gas with. This inflation, particularly higher gas prices, the impact it is having on the middle class and on the working class is the most egregious of all of it. Um, Congressman, you it sounds like you might need Democrats to get on board to get something done here with with legislation, um, especially this year. Uh, do you see any window of opportunity, any avenue? And I'm not necessarily talking about, you know, maybe the Green New Deal Democrats, but are there any conversations with maybe some of the more moderate Democrats about, hey, short term, can we do something here on, on oil and gas? Yes, I think there are. You know, I'm, I'm one who believes and, and I know working up here that there are some Democrats who understand the importance of of the immediate help that this could uh, that this could render if we were to take action now. And I think they understand that. And I think they are willing to work with us on this. Um, I, I think we should continue to pursue renewables. And I, I'm all in favor of that for clean energy. I'm a strong advocate for that. However, I do believe in an all of the above energy type energy strategy. And I, I do believe that fossil fuels has a place and, 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 a, and a very important place in the future of our energy needs. You know, there comes a time when you have to stop and you have to think, OK, um, you know, what's happening now in Europe? Um, th this takes precedent over some other things. And, and if it's going to have this big impact, the, this big of an impact on our economy as it is having, then we need to make some some immediate decisions and, and some changes in what we're doing right now. Georgia Congressman Buddy Carter, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This is James Carafano with your Fox News commentary. Coming up. Presidents, militaries, intelligence agencies all have secrets, sometimes nefarious, but often for good reason. National security or protecting American troops, for example. Mike Baker has kept some of those secrets himself as a former CIA operative, now head of the global intelligence company Portman Square Group, and host of the TV show Black Files Declassified, where he investigates top secret government programs. My security clearances gave me access to many classified projects. Now, I'm following the money trail to the secrets hidden inside the Black Files. One of those programs is known as PIADs, Presidential Emergency Action Documents, secret executive orders and messages to Congress to be used in the event of a national emergency. Think of any disaster. It could be a natural disaster. It could be a man-made crisis, um, sort of what we're looking at right now with the... Uh, 
disastrous situation in, in Europe with Russia and the Ukraine. Season two of Black Files Declassified just started. New episodes air Wednesdays, 9 p.m. on Science Channel. So in, in times of uh, crisis, the idea was that the, the PIADs, the Presidential Executive Action Directors, would, would, would give the president an enormous amount of independence in making decisions that could impact, obviously, hundreds of millions of people living in the United States. And it started in the Eisenhower administration, right, to deal with the aftermath of nuclear war, if that were to happen, and which, unfortunately, we're talking about again now. Um, and they're updated, you know, from time to time, I suppose. I don't think they ever expire, but I guess they can uh, be updated as needed. Might this be one of those times? Well, it, it could well be. Uh, certainly, you know, potential global nuclear war uh, was considered um, a potential scenario uh, back in that time. And, and now, bizarrely, we seem to have, you know, stepped back into a, a new version of the Cold War. And the interesting thing is, is the, the PIADs, these, these presidential executive actions, much like a number of things that we investigate in this in this series and Black Files Declassified, the difficulty is in getting access to uh, documentation, getting access to information that tells you exactly what the purpose of a particular program was. And obviously, you know, there are secrecy concerns around uh, a lot of these things. And we spend a great deal of time pulling on threads around various government programs, uh, classified operations and, and elements within the intel community and military, trying to understand uh, you know where the government is focused, where these operations are 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 going, because it's it's not just looking at what happened in the past. We're looking at what's going on today and how are these things morphing into the future? Yeah, I mean, that's the challenge with doing a show like this. Uh, you're dealing with things that are, by definition, in some cases, secret. And you, you've got to just do what you can to, to chip away at the margins. Right. Right. And that's you know, that's that's really sort of the premise where this all started with the, with this series is the idea that, you know, how do you uh, provide some transparency? Now, our, our, our job is not to reveal classified secrets. I would never do that. And, and people understand that given my, my background. Uh, but there's a great deal of information that, that can be obtained, that can be looked at to improve to the degree that it's possible transparency and an understanding of what's happening out there. I mean, when we talk about black files, we're talking about black budgets, right? Uh, so everybody... Everybody who knows about a classified program, that's one more person who could potentially leak it. How much of the defense budget, would you guess, is basically not line-itemed? Line you know, stuff that's unaccounted for, need-to-know basis stuff. That is, that's a very good question, and it's kind of at the heart of the, of the show. Uh, and to be honest with you, we still don't know, right? And, and probably never will. But the, the premise is, uh, it's that old saying, follow the money. Right. Uh, I've, I've spent a great deal of time both in the in the uh, CIA and uh, in the commercial side of things um, involved in in a variety of operations and investigations. And oftentimes it's the money trail that provides the most fruitful avenue to walk down. And so the idea of this show originated with, well, let's 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 do that. Let's follow the money. Let's see if we can identify the budgets. Right. You've got the black budget and within the black budget you've got a variety of these black files that um, are responsible for some of these incredible uh, operations, programs, uh, units that operate out there. And again, for good reason, oftentimes in, you know, in the dark, uh, but to the degree we can, we're looking to shed some light on it. 
Let's talk about some stuff uh, in Season 2. Uh, mission 7. It's this 2013 submarine mission. We don't really know what they were up to, but whatever they did, they got citations for it when they got back. What'd you find out? Yeah, this was a, a fascinating uh, situation. A, 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 a Seawolf-class sub, uh, the USS Jimmy Carter, sets off uh, on a uh, on a mission. Nobody knows what it was for. Uh, comes back uh, damaged. Uh, and then uh, there is this citation given to uh, to the crew and officers. Uh, very uh, important citation for uh, operations, obviously in, in a hostile situation where it could have endangered the, uh, the the lives of the crew, the officers, uh, the sub. And the question was, what was Mission Seven? What was its 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 function? And to get after that, we ended up uh, finding individuals who have been involved in submarine operations, retrieval operations, reconnaissance operations, listening uh, operations uh, around the world uh, throughout the years, trying to pin down exactly what Mission Seven was all about, and you know, and in doing so, we explore a lot of different avenues, including the Glomar. And you know the, the the effort that was involved in in Project Azoria as as an example. So I don't want to I don't want to give the ending out. Uh, I'm not here to to uh, provide any spoilers. But let's just say it's it was a fascinating project, and and the the citation for bravery for uh, for working uh, in that sort of environment was well deserved by that crew. Fair enough. Um, a lot of shows. Uh, about UFOs and the paranormal. And there's a reason for you to get into that stuff here. There are actual military programs that we know a little bit about to look into unexplained phenomena, like unidentified aircraft. I mean, you got to think if you get elected president, that's got to be on the top five list of questions. Do we have a down spacecraft somewhere? Yes. I mean, that would be the first thing I would do. I would assume you know, that if I if I were elected president, I don't think anybody in their right mind would, would do that. But if I were to be president, that'd be the first thing I'd, I'd say, okay, where is the book about about uh, you know unidentified aerial phenomena, you know, I, I want to see the Area 51 catalog, um, and and to be fair, I understand why it's it's been so fascinating for so many years, and we look at it uh, in in this series from a slightly different perspective. Once again, saying okay, we want to base our investigations on on solid ground, right? If you don't, if you base it on on hearsay, if you base it on past allegations, if you base it on information that has no foundation, then it's not really an investigation. It's going to crumble at some point. So we look at it and say, okay, you know what? The Pentagon did come out and say we did have an office that a tip that was involved in understanding, um, again, what they refer to as unexplained aerial phenomena. Now, if you think about it, it makes perfect sense for the Pentagon to have an office like that. A lot of people thought, okay, well, it must be where they they're hiding the aliens. But the idea being for national security purposes, if you've got an, uh, some type of, of uh, aircraft or whatever it may be identified over uh, the U.S. or over a particularly a sensitive facility, and it's identified by, say, a naval aviator, from a national security perspective, you need to understand what that is. It may perfectly well be uh, explainable. It could be a drone. It could be uh, an aircraft flown uh, by, uh, you know, a hostile nation. You want to know that. And so ATIP was set up and, and to, to do just that. And so we started from that premise and then, as always, travel around, find people who should have insight and find ways to, to approach them, talk to them. Uh, get into facilities where we can uh, gather access, 
and you end up with some very interesting results. We haven't still haven't solved it. We haven't solved exactly what sits at Area 51, but we're working on it. Okay. Let me get back to Ukraine for a minute, uh, Mike. CIA Director William Burns, not the only one to say, look, Putin's very angry. He's very frustrated. He was blindsided by what has so far not been a terribly successful mission there, um, and that he's going to double down. What are your thoughts on uh, professionally and just from talking to people that you still know in that world? What are your thoughts about what's happening there and what might happen next? Yeah, this um, is as close as we've been. Not to be hyperbolic about it, but it's as close as we've been to a nuclear confrontation in, well, you'd have to go back to, you know, the collapse of the Soviet Union when there was a great deal of chaos. And then prior to that, you'd have to go back, obviously, to the Cold War and the Bay of Pigs time. But the danger here is in trying to assess his plans and intentions because that requires um, extremely, extremely good intelligence and oftentimes human source intelligence. And that's a heavy lift when you're talking about Russia. So, you know, the, the, the Russian military, and this is where it starts to get all sideways, Russian military uh, and their, their nuke capability, they have doctrines that allow for first strike, tactical nuclear weapons. Um, it, it's, it's, it's in their playbook. And we would consider it unimaginable they don't necessarily think of it that way. We look at a, an episode in the Black Files this season about, in part, the, the Soviet Union back in the day creating a, a system that took the human out of the decision-making process in launching uh, ballistic missiles, nuclear weapons. Because in their mind, they were thinking, okay, it's, it's a Cold War. Response time is becoming shorter and shorter. What happens if the Soviet leadership is wiped out in a first strike? Okay, well, the answer is, we have to have a system, and they called it the dead hand system, that would respond, even if there was no human uh, available at that point. And so that the, the machine would take over without human intervention and instruct all these Soviet missile silos that are remaining to launch their weapons uh, at the West. I mean, that's that's part of the mindset of, uh, of the Soviet Union and, and Russia today, certainly in the face of Vladimir Putin. Well, if you want to turn off the news for a bit, you can uh, go on Science Channel Season 2 of Black Files Declassified. Mike Baker's the host, uh, former CIA operative, CEO now of Portman Square Group. That's a global intelligence and risk mitigation for Mike. Uh, thanks a lot. It was good to talk to you. No, I appreciate it, Chris. Thanks very much. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. James Carafano. What's on your mind? Even as the battle between Russia and Ukraine continues, it is not too soon for the United States and its allies to ask a basic question. Where do we go from here? The transatlantic community has learned some hard lessons in the last few days. We need to build on them. Start with NATO. Let's not forget that it's a political military alliance. It exists to defend NATO territory. And collective defense means nothing if the alliance can't commit to defending every one of its members. Regardless of the outcome of this conflict, as long as Putin is in power, Russia is a threat. 
Further, NATO must be prepared to protect against any spillover of problems coming out of the Middle East, including troubles cooked up by an aggressive Iranian regime. NATO as a whole has slipped in its capacity to ensure an adequate defense of alliance territory. So there is a clear to-do list for the U.S. as well. Three members of NATO have nuclear weapons, the United Kingdom, France, and the U.S. Their arsenals need to be modernized and proven ready to the task of extending nuclear deterrence to every inch of NATO soil against all comers. NATO also needs missile defenses to match. The best and most stable strategic defense is a robust mix of offensive and defensive missile and bomber capabilities. Yet NATO cannot be defended without boots on the ground, which offer conventional deterrence to complement strategic deterrence. We need to think way past having U.S. troops forward deploy to serve as a tripwire. We need U.S. troops that can show we are ready to fight and kill an invading enemy. In addition to having a forward deployed American Corps headquarters, there should be a U.S. heavy division stationed in Poland, a heavy U.S. brigade stationed in Romania. This would be about 10,000 troops. And mostly that would not be new troops, but keeping them in Europe instead of rotating them in and out, which is both more responsive and more cost effective. We also need a lot more air defense capability forward deployed. Troops on the ground are of no use if they can get pummeled from the air by planes or missiles and drones. We also need to get our air arm right. The Trump administration started to consolidate inefficiently scattered U.S. air footprints across Europe. It's time to do more. The U.S. should have in place an entire Air Force wing in Europe. We have work to do at sea, too. Naval forces can move fast. They're powerful. They're flexible. They can be a force deployed now. Assets should be positioned as soon as possible at two strategic pressure points, the Baltic Seas and the Barrett Strait. Of course, Ukraine, Russia has weakened its naval presence in both places. Sending in naval forces would definitely get their attention in the long term, the U.S. and NATO need a better plan to sustain deterrence in the Baltic, as well as the Black Sea. If these steps are taken, we will show that our leaders have learned the lessons of the tragedy in Ukraine. If they are not, then regardless of the outcome of the Ukraine conflict, we will be more at risk than ever. This is Jim Carafano at the Heritage Foundation. Thanks for listening. Listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up to the minute news, go to foxnews.com. Getting Schooled is a podcast hosted by Fox Nation's Abby Hornacek. Each week, Abby and her expert guests tackle topics we take for granted and help explain the roots and meanings behind them. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America is listening to Fox News. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com.